You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Greetings and welcome back to The Worship Review, the weekly podcast which evaluates the texts of music sung in the church. I'm Tyler, a linguist and uh, former worship leader, and I'm joined by Colin. I'm Colin. I am a historian, also a former, as we say, worship oh. leader. <laughs> Quotation marks. I use that phrase. I'm so... Yeah, well, why, why shouldn't we use the phrase? Be- because it is the case that leading the music is distinct from leading the yes. worship. It is the case. Yeah. Well, and so... It's a term that everyone... Term that... What, what are we going to say? Music leader? Maybe music, church music, church musician, church music leader. I guess I think there is a term that is needed, yeah, that is lacking, mm-hmm. and it has been filled as a sort of stopgap by worship leader. Well, until they tell us what that term is, we should use the worship leader term on this podcast. What we do is read the texts, listen to the songs, and evaluate the content in the music. So we look for things like uh, scriptural accuracy. We look at things like um, emotions, and we look at things like grammar as well, trying not to be too pedantic about it, but it sometimes matters quite a bit. Theology. Definitely theology. And today we're looking at a song called Do It Again by Elevation Worship. Elevation Worship. We're back with these guys. And these are the Stephen Furtick These are the Stephen Furtick guys, aren't they? Folks, yeah. And I think he gets uh, authorial credit in a lot of these songs. I don't know if that's the case in this song. Probably is. I would guess he's listed as like a co-writer or something. Stephen Furtick is listed as an author according to Booyah. Christian Copyright Licensing International. Yeah. Colin, what would you say Do It Again is about? Well, <laughs> I... It's about many things. It seems to be at one point about a person either walking around or maybe on top of walls and it's nighttime as well. So there's this kind of almost scene setting aspect to it. And the person is thinking about the walls and also thinking about how God hasn't failed them. And I would say this is kind of the main theme in the song. There are various ways in which the song articulates the idea that God does not fail, or at least has not yet failed. And that this is like a, this is a truth that can be internalized by the worshiper, that the worshiper can know that God hasn't failed and that this means God has, you know, because God has been steadfast, he will be steadfast in unspecified ways. Yeah. I think I would agree with you. I would probably emphasize God doing the work in this song. He's really the agent throughout most of the um, sentences in the song. He can do things that are impossible, like move mountains 
and he has done impossible things before. We see that as well, and uh, the implication is that he will do the impossible for me again. Yeah, how well all of this is explained, I guess we'll see as we get into the, you know, as we get into each stanza. Yeah, and we'll do it again, and again, and again. So, starting with verse 1. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall, but you have never failed me yet. Waiting for change to come, knowing the battle's won, for you have never failed me yet. Waiting for change to come, knowing the battle's won, for you have never failed me yet. Yeah, so I was trying to figure out, what are these walls? Is this a reference to something? My guess is, this is kind of like Jericho, you know, that the person the person is kind of imagining almost real walls, but, you know, because walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what what this means exactly, like, they're waiting for God to conquer something for them or to defeat something for them. Uh, and maybe had been hoping that God would do this and, you know, but God hasn't done it yet. And then they're reminding themselves that, well, God hasn't failed in the past. So God will do this thing, but it, it, it's, there's, there's no real indication yet as to what, the walls represent and what it means that they might fall. I mean, we have in the second part of this verse, waiting for change to come. But again, change is really vague too. I mean, it's a political slogan, right? Hope and change. So so we have a, a problem, I guess, at the beginning of this song, but it is really unclear what it is in, in, in a specific sense. It's, it, there's, there's just the kind of wall metaphor and this idea of change and the sentiment that is accurate that God hasn't failed, although hasn't failed me yet. I don't know if that's a problem, too. So, I don't know, Tyler, that's kind of a mess of things. What do you think? Well, my first question is, when you walk around the walls, are we walking around the outside of the walls, okay, yeah. like Israel? Or like on top of them? Or within the city? I yeah. imagine someone kind of, you know how um, territorial animals will pace the boundaries of their territory? Mm -hmm. I was thinking of someone kind of walking around the inside, but I don't think you would want your walls to fall in that case because then you lose your defenses. Yeah, or may, but but maybe then maybe it's the case that you're walking around the walls on the inside or even on top of them, and you've just been doubting that they could hold up. Like maybe they're pretty junky walls. Like you, I, I, I mean, if I think of Jericho, which which I'm supplying to the song, the song doesn't really give me an indication that that's what it's referencing. I'm just throwing that out there. Then it's like, okay, you want you want the walls to fall and you're outside of them. But there's you're right. There's nothing intrinsic in the song that actually tells us where what the walls are, where you're at when you're walking around them. Well, I think I do think this is about uh Joshua, and here's why. There's a um an article 
on so I, I knew you had something like this in your pocket <laughs> new release today uh and it's when this song first impacted christian radio they sat the authors down the musicians down to uh discuss the meaning behind the song so this is what the uh one of the singers says do it again has been in the works for years a couple of years ago our pastor referring to Fertick, was preaching at a hillsong conference <laughs> why is that funny because like you this is the same story every time you read about the origins of an elevation worship song they're like we were listening to a sermon by pastor Fertick. yeah well we were we were working on a coloring book that had pastor Fertick in it well, yeah, so this one was based off of a sermon by uh, Pastor Fertick. Um, Do It Again has been in the works for years. A couple of years ago, our pastor was preaching at a Hillsong conference. Interesting yeah. that it was a Hillsong conference. Yeah. And his message was about how God's promises still stand. Well, we see that in the song, too. The title, stand like walls? Uh, Whoopsie. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the title of the message was Don't Stop on Six. Now, before, if I tell you it's about Joshua... And the uh, conquering of Jericho. Oh, right. Okay, sure. <laughs> so if you don't know that context, okay. it sounds like a funny title. But the title of the message was Don't Stop on Six. And it was about how when Joshua was walking around the walls of Jericho, they needed to continue walking around seven times, as God promised, for the walls to come down. Okay. Uh, that is such a big message for our church. He was preaching the message and he kept coming back to the phrase, God's promise still stands. Matt Redman, there's so many... Just little cues <laughs> to famous people in this, or Christian worship famous people. We call those name drops, Tyler. <laughs> I guess so. Matt Redmond texted Pastor Steven and said, there's a song in that concept. So one of the greatest worship songwriters of all time says there's a song here, and he prompted it. And then they were working on it uh, together. He mentions that uh, it's dealing with a sin struggle or walking around a wall of some addiction or struggle. Or like Paul with a thorn in his side. We okay, all have so, these things that we've been dealing with for so a long time. So even they don't know what it means. I, well, I, I get the I, impression I mean, that uh, it's about... So this is even before I read this article, my takeaway from this was, I want to see a change that I have not yet seen, but I know that you have not failed me yet. That was okay. kind of my summary of this first verse. Okay. So I do think we're walking around the external walls of a fortress like Jericho. That fortress is a fortress of... Now, of course, I'm, I'm layering a lot onto this yeah, text yeah. because there's not a ton there, but from the author's own admission, it's inspired by the sermon, which we haven't listened to, on Joshua 6. And this interview, with which most people, right, who listen to the song will not have read. Of course, yeah. of course. Um, there's, I think, a kind of already not yet component to this where we see that we are waiting for change to come, knowing the battle's won. So... It's, I mean, we have the benefit of knowing how uh, Joshua 6 concludes, right? The, the uh, Israelites, they knew that their God was faithful, but they did have to trust in the moment. They didn't have that. So, um, th we have this waiting for change to come, um, and we see that God is faithful and steadfast. He's never failed me yet. That's how it's expressed in this verse. Um, and, of course, Colin, this probably won't surprise you, but I did wonder about this um yet yeah word here because uh certainly i i mean this is almost like a uh like we did last week talk about a a kind of philosophical question um it, it is the case that something that never fails that is in time at the present you will say it has never failed me yet and it will continue to be the case that that thing will not fail you in the future yeah. right 
an infallible rule will not fail you yet. Um, but sometimes we use the word yet to indicate a chain, a possible yeah. change, or we might be begging the question. Yeah. I don't think that's what they're doing here. Oh, but yeah, it's definitely not what they intend to yeah. do, certainly. Yeah. I don't think that at all. Uh, but because the English language is so uh, flexible, it could be that interpretation could be laid on top of this text. Yeah, now, there are words like yet and until, right, or that that both that have those properties. Come thou fount has some similar expressions in it that I think are less potentially less offensive. So I'm less offended when Come Thou Fount says, Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Now, of course, we trust in a faithful God. We know that we'll arrive safely at home. And so it's it's doing similar things in Do It Again to say, You've never failed me yet, because it is true, God will never, He, he will never fail. He will always accomplish His purposes. Um, but in the present, tense um in the present moment when we say yet we can only refer to um now and the past so then we have this chorus Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. So, we have an indication that there is a promise that is standing, which, as I alluded to when you read that interview, well, walls also stand. So, it's weird. If you want the walls to fall, it's a bit weird to now reference a promise as standing because you wanted the walls to fall now standing doesn't ne standing need not refer just to a wall metaphor lots of things stand but nevertheless we do tend to associate standing with walls or with a building for example so a little bit of a metaphor mix up here perhaps um but there is a singular promise, so it's not your promises, it is a promise, a specific promise of some kind. What is that promise? You would expect that there would be some articulation of what the promise is within the song, and I don't think the song actually provides it. There, there's a reference here, great is your faithfulness, which in addition to just being fan service, right, it's a way to reference an old song that people know in the same way that like new Star Wars films reference lightsaber battles so that people can say, oh, lightsaber battles, that's Star Wars. This isn't a, this isn't some new thing. This is, this is some old thing that I like. Great is your faithfulness is a way to do that. The same way with referencing like numbers like 10,000 or, you know, lines from Amazing Grace. But great is your faithfulness isn't a promise. That's just another way to say God's, God keeps his promises. That's what being faithful is. So 
it's really just a restatement of the fact of what was said by your promise still stands. So we don't yet know what the promise is. I mean, you could argue that I'm still in your hands is maybe a promise, right? And that's a reference, of course, to when Jesus talks about, I think, when Jesus talks about that, you know, those he has in his hands, like no one can snatch them out of his hands. Those that are in the Father's hands, no one will snatch them out of the Father's hands. He says both those things, if I remember correctly. And this is my confidence that you've never failed me yet. So again, that's another way of talking about faithfulness. God hasn't failed. Great, all true, all objectively true as well. And that's useful, right? The song is referencing objective truth. And it's also bringing that objective truth into a subjective interpretation as well. You've never failed me, right? In addition to saying God is faithful, which he says, uh, the, the worship songwriter or song singer is also referencing themselves. So it's kind of a mixed bag in that I would love to know what the promise is. But at the very least, the song does, or this line, this, pas- this passage, does at least reference some objective truth about God that he is faithful. It just would be nice to know a little bit more about how he is faithful. Do you think that you can infer from context that the promise is that the walls will fall? Because he says in the beginning of verse 1, walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. So the implication is they haven't fallen yet. Um, I would have expected them to. But you have never failed me yet. There's these three interesting ideas. And unless you interpret them as you have promised to make the wall fall, I don't understand uh, what's happening. Well, we don't know. Uh, Yes, I think that's probably the most likely way you could make those things connect. But even then, in the first verse, it's not like we have a promise from God that the walls are going to fall. It's just the person expects that they will fall Mm -hmm. and is maybe assuming even that God is going to knock them down. Again, if you read that interview and you think about Jericho, it's like, okay, well, God promises the Israelites that the walls of Jericho will fall down. So, I don't know, my point, I guess, just is there's something here yeah, but you have to do a lot of work, and even then, the song just doesn't even give you what you need to really do the work to to get even a sense of what it might mean. You have to read the interview, you have to speculate a little bit, you have to think about the. I mean, it's just it's just too. There's just not enough here. I'm re- recalling another song that mentioned Jericho, and it Jericho actually mentioned wow. it by name. Yeah, there was a Jericho <laughs> Wow or a Jericho Wall. Um. It was nice that it mentioned it by name. I will say this. If you read this and uh, your mind goes to Jericho, I think you can actually read verse 1 as potentially being the mindset of, um, you know, one of the warriors. Yeah. Uh, You know, waiting for change to come, waiting for the walls to fall, I think we can infer. Knowing the battle's won, knowing that God has already promised that we will conquer this town, for you've never failed me yet. I think that's fair, although I thought by now they'd fall doesn't make sense, because if God gave clear instructions, uh, (laughs) we would not say, well, I'm like 75% through your instructions. I thought you would have done what you said you were going to do at the end by now. So, um, it's an interesting... um, it's an interesting 
parallel that the authors are drawing between the fall of Jericho and really the conquering of sin in the heart of the believer, at least by their description in this interview that I mentioned. Um, and of course, great is thy faithfulness, or great is your faithfulness. It is a mention, it is a, a reference to that Chishon hymn that we uh, did a few, a few series ago, but it's also, uh, of course, a reference to Lamentations 3, right? Yeah. Uh, 3.23. Yeah. B. Great is your faithfulness. And I, I find it kind of interesting that in Lamentations, that verse comes after a lot of what we might look at as complaining. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, for example, in verse 16, he has made my teeth grind on gravel. He here is God and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. I mean, wow. really, really sorrowful lamentation. Yeah. And then to be able to say great is thy faithfulness after that is good. Um, and perhaps perplexing. But I, I think of this, just the, the feel of this verse, it feels like non... Uh, yeah. It, I wonder what it would look like, Colin, to create a Christian radio station or Christian music uh, industry that we're not saccharine, like that we're not sweet and yeah. chipper. And of course, I'm not against being happy or sweet or anything like that. I'm not some kind of uh, grouch necessarily. But uh, what would it look like to set Lamentations 3 to music and not just that verse? I, mm. I don't know. I don't know. Um, we have then verse 2. I know the night won't last. Your word will come to pass. My heart will sing your praise again. Jesus, you're still Keep me your love. My heart will sing your praise again. Oh, yes, Jesus, you're still enough. Keep me within your love. My heart will sing your praise again. Yeah, so here we have a 12-year-old writing a song. And obviously someone's son or daughter must have penned this verse. Uh, some, you know, fifth grader or sixth grader. I, 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 this just is junk. Okay. Uh, why are we talking about a night? Uh, I thought we were talking about the walls. I, I, I looked through... Joshua chapter 6, I mean, it does say that they camped overnight, but then on the seventh day, they march around the city and it, Jericho falls in the middle of the day. And there's not, there's no like night of doubt or night of wondering in that story. So maybe this is just a way to say there's some more doubt. It's a way to, I mean, again, we don't know what the night means. The song doesn't tell us what the night means. Is the night doubt? Is the night sin is the night an addiction is the night sad thoughts just don't know um and it's yet another metaphor because i don't see how it connects to the previous metaphor of walls nor do i see how it connects to the jericho story again which we are importing into the song by the way right based on this interview still nothing in the song tells us that it's about jericho 
explicitly. Your word will come to pass. Absolutely, that is true, right? Uh, And past rhymes with last, so that worked out pretty well. Um, My heart will sing your praise again. I Again, great, wonderful. Uh, Again and again, we will sing God's praise. Why Uh, and what will it sing? And how does this, like, there's just an interjection here that I just don't see how it connects to what came before it. Then we bring up Jesus, which is good, because up to this point we haven't had um, God even named. Uh, so we, we do have Jesus here. Jesus, you're still enough. Was there a question anywhere previously in the song about Jesus not being enough? Like, is that what the walls mean? Is that what the night means? Is the night Jesus not being enough? Again, it's true that Jesus is enough. But my point is, structurally, why is this being brought up? I don't know. Keep me within your love. Love kind of, you know, rhymes with enough, a bit of a slant rhyme. Um, But Jesus will keep the person in their love if they're a Christian. Again, was that in doubt? I I don't know. So, I mean, again, these are true statements. They're very vague statements, and I just don't see how they connect to other aspects in the song at all. Tyler, am I missing something obvious? I've been known to do this. Am I missing something here? I think that, uh, let me say this. The statement, I know the night won't last, is disconnected from what came before it throughout the entire song. I don't see a connection. However, because this is such a trope in a lot of Christian worship music, or Christian praise music, I think I know what it means, even though it doesn't say it. So is the night just like what? What? what I think it's a night of trial, okay. tribulation, suffering, maybe temptation. Okay. Uh, in fact, it's it's a kind of a blanket enough that you can say there's a difficult time, but I know it's transient. So in other words, we're accepting that this is just being used as a cliche, in the way that. It is, you're right, that it is used as a cliche or a trope in, in other songs at this. We're just resting on a kind of... Genre internal yeah. okay. trope, maybe. Okay. Um, of course, <laughs> again, to be completely fair, it's not false. No, no, it, these things are true. Even bad, yeah. you know, suffering, things like that, yeah. they are transitory. Um and ultimately, God's word, I think representative here of his will, will come to pass in time. Yeah, all these things are true. I suppose my ire is just with the structural issues. It's like, why, why is this stuff I you want more being... coherence. Yeah, it, right? I really do. I don't understand why it's all being brought up and in this way. It just, this just seems like filler. Like, it seems like they got inspired. I mean, it, it's like they got inspired in the first verse and they wanted to write about Jericho. And then they're kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess we got to have a second verse. What and then we're like, put well, in there? Let's find some stuff. Okay. What rhymes with Rahab? Well, yeah, what, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> what rhymes with Harlan? <laughs> ah! Yeah. I thought the phrase, Jesus, you're still enough, was perplexing because I couldn't tell what the enough was meant to be. Enough yeah. is a quantity descriptor. Uh, it means you've met a target. And I don't know what the target was. Is it, yeah. Jesus, you're enough to carry me through the night? Or is it, Jesus, you're enough to knock the walls down? Or, or was it, 
Well, we didn't mention Jesus yet, so I guess we should throw him in there. Oh, actually, that's a good point. We haven't mentioned Jesus up to this point. So when we talk, I think all of these yous can be interpreted then as as um, directed at at well. I mean, this is tr- you could <laughs> you say the, guess, the triune Tyler. God, but um, I, yeah, I, I I don't know. Let me let me withdraw that thought for a moment because. I'm not confident saying that all of these were directed specifically at Jesus. Okay. <laughs> it's, this is tough. And then we return to that chorus, um, your promise still stands. Yeah. And there's one change in this chorus the second time. Right after this is my confidence... Instead of saying, you've never failed me yet, on the repetition, they say, you never fail. Oh, that's nice. I thought that was yeah. good. I thought that Should was really nice. Should have said really that nice. from the beginning, just to, <laughs> just to just, you know, not have any of the That dispels any concerns the about the yet, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because now we're in the logical situation where yet is meant to mean, um, including the present and all of the past, um... And not indicating some kind of change in the future. And it's also in the present rather than the, what, perfect, you have never failed me yet. Oh, right. Right. So it implies ongoing lack of failure, which is better. Yes. There's nothing wrong with saying God has not failed us up to this point. That's totally fine to say, as you've already articulated. Um, It's even better to speak to a continuing, ongoing, and eternal attribute of God. He does not fail, period. And then we have this bridge, bridge being a connector. Oh! I've seen you move. You move the mountains. And I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way where there was no way, and I believe I'll see you do it again. Okay, so we've left behind the walls. The night is gone, and now we're talking about mountains because I guess we have to go to more cliches about you know what kind of big things God does. Okay, he moves mountains, and it's true. Right, God does move mountains, uh, and both literal and figurative mountains. That is true, um, and you know God Himself moves. So we have God moving. I've seen you move, um, and God moving the mountains. Now, uh, it would be nice to have some answers to questions. Right, God moves in what way? What does that mean? And for what purpose? Um, I presume, like you know, like you did earlier, you rested on a kind of trope or cliched understanding of something. I think that's probably what's going on here. The idea of God, well, if we say, man, God really moved, right, in kind of Christian ease, that means I needed something and it was provided, right? Or I, I had hoped for something and then it happened, or... I thought something wasn't going to happen, but then God moved, right? And 
this thing happened. So I presume that this is just referencing that kind of cliched understanding of what that means because the song doesn't provide any other definition. So I think we just have to assume some kind of commonsensical interpretation. I think there are two tropes here actually in this bridge. Yeah. Uh, and they're they're both resting on a similar uh, or not similar, but they're both resting on established norms in the production of Christian music in okay. the last 20 years. Remember Anne, Anne Wilson's song, oh, um, yeah. My Jesus? Yes. She mentions making a way where there was no way before. And yes. that's exactly what these guys say here. You made a way where there was no way. I think her song is later than this one, to be quite yeah, fair. Yeah, hers does come later. Um, but the fact that there's a kind of um, feedback loop within mm-hmm. the community is interesting. Um, or or potential. I can't attribute it necessarily to that, but um, it it would be odd if all of these songs that talk about moving mountains were not somehow drawn no, I mean, on the same we vein. We read it in the interview. Like these people go to each other's conferences. You got Matt Redman texting Stephen Furtick, whose worship band is at a Hillsong conference. I mean, yeah. There's no question that these folks are all listening to each other. The same producers are working with them. The same songwriters are working with them. The same studio musicians are working with them. I mean, it's probably something in the ether, right? Well, the 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 message of this bridge seems to be, you have done the impossible before, and I believe I'll see you do it again. Which is a great sentiment, yeah. right? That is, and that's true. Yes, especially when undergirded with the past descriptions of God never failing. Yeah. So, I believe that I'll see you do it again is not just reinforcing that God will do it, but I will also... Um, I testify that he will do it too. Yeah, if I can be just pedantic, you said past descriptions of God never failing, but of course, really not much was described. Sure, assertions. Past statements. Yeah, Yeah, assertions even better, right? These are assertions at this point. Um, And don't, you know, listeners, don't hear us say, oh, you know, we're just dinging this song because it's not, uh, you know, because it's not doing what we think it should do. The fact is, if you want to show something that is, if you want to take something that's important and show it as such, you should want to bring in specificity and evidence. You you want a warrant. You want some reason for people to believe what it is that you're saying. And so don't hear us say, like, don't hear us, like, nitpicking the song just for the sake of nitpicking it. We're nitpicking it because... We want God to be glorified in the music that is sung in the church. And so, like, there's so much that could be said to fill in a lot of these true statements. They're true statements. They're they're true arguments. God is faithful. God does what he says. God does move mountains. Um, God doesn't fail. These are true statements. Um, Let's fill up those statements with evidence, right? And and it can be objective evidence. It can be uh, evidence from Scripture can be evidence from creation. Um, It can also be subjective evidence. That's what a testimony is, right? A Christian talks about the way God has done things specifically in their lives. But, you know, if there's nothing there, then these statements can come across as just empty and vague and a little bit void. And I worry that that's kind of what's going on in this song. Do you think that for the people in that church singing it, that they were empty and vague and void no i'm not i wouldn't dare say that and in fact we can hope we can hope that while these void 
while, while these um, vague phrases are being sung, you have to hope that the people are imagining biblical things. But it would be better if the song would provide those things because then it ensures, we've talked about this before on the podcast, like one of the reasons why specificity and detail is important is it because it makes sure that people are concentrating on the right things when they're worshiping and not just thinking about unbiblical things. What if someone thinks that the mountain that needs to be moved um, is that, I don't know, they need to... uh, divorce their spouse or they need to you know stop going to church right i mean ironically right there are or they need to just you know just stop reading the god's word for a little while and take some me time and that's the mountain that needs to be moved is they're just they seem to have this desire to read the you know i don't know like you you could you could you people come up with all sorts of ideas that they think god is telling them to do and that god wants them to do um, or they come up with all sorts of interpretations of what God's faithfulness is. Well, God really wants me to have a nice car. God really wants me to have a nice house. And that's what I'm that's the mountain he's gonna move. It's like, well, maybe, but maybe not. You know? Whereas if you provide something quite objective and biblical, uh, it clarifies what these things mean. It, it helps these truths have substance. And they aren't just kind of abstractions or even worse cliches, which really, which really don't have a lot of meaning in and of themselves. I just don't see a lot in the song that tells us what to think about these things Hmm. or how to think about them or what to reference or what the evidence is for them. I just, it just doesn't seem to be there. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. Oh, I just yeah. wish there was more here, I guess. Well, at, I, I would agree with you. I think there is some content that is uh, missing. I was m- talking with one of the listeners or emailing with one of the listeners recently. And the listener said, um, something not being present is distinct from an omission for me, more or less. So, um, I'm paraphrasing this listener's email, but um, I think this is true. It, uh, and a, an omission is distinct from there being a limitation on the uh, creation. So if there's only a certain number of verses that you can put in a song, you will not be able to pack in all the detail Correct. that you want. But that's not omitting Correct. detail. Yeah, oh, that's a fair you point. Know, like a, and we can even maybe go further and say a deliberate omission is if there's a relevant key factor that you have chosen not to put in there correct for some other reason and so this song i think has a lot missing i don't think that they have omitted well specific things but there's a lot of space that is filled with not falsehood but yeah. fluff yeah. that could be filled with more more scriptural uh detail yeah, that distinction is a really good one between omission, something being omitted, and something not being present. How do how do we determine the difference? Well, it seems that one way is based on the structure of the argument itself, right? And and so so if if a person is making a statement, God is faithful. Okay, that's an argument, right? That's a thesis. God is faithful. Obviously, there's lots of evidence that one could include, and 
not including all of that evidence is not ipso facto omission, right? But there does need to be some evidence, right? Or that is a omission, right? In other words, omission is not caused, an omission is not a failure to include all evidence, but omission can be a failure to include any evidence, right? Especially if one makes an argument. You use the word assertion. That's what an assertion is. An assertion is a, a claim, an argument that does not actually provide any evidence for, for itself. There are just multiple times in this, obviously we're getting into concluding thoughts at this point. There are multiple times in this song where it makes argumentative statements, even repeats argumentative statements without even giving like really a shred of concrete evidence. It's kind of a circular song. Like I think we really see that embodied in in the part of the song that says, your promise still stands, great is your faithfulness, I'm still in your hands, this is my confidence, you've never failed me yet. Those are just a bunch of different ways of saying the same thing. Something that is true. I'm not disputing the truth of the claim, but those are just, that's what I would call redundancy. And if a student gave me a paper and they just restated their argument several times in different ways, rather than giving me evidence for the argument, that would be a problem. And I think this song falls short and is, and, and does contain omissions, a weird way to phrase that. It does not, ha- it does not provide what it should. Um, because it just it just gives these statements it just provides statements without evidence off the cuff here i don't have this prepared but i want to ask you more clarifying questions because you said it doesn't provide what it should yeah where do you get the evaluation criterion that a song that asserts something that's true about god must or should uh, contain scriptural evidence for that for example, if I were to write a song and it were just true, but um, disconnected assertions about God, God is faithful, God is merciful, God is holy, God is just, God is righteous, would you object to that song if I didn't include, um, you know, the, the phrase off, sometimes used in armchair theologian circles is proof texts. Like, right. if I don't have a proof text... Uh, can I still sing this in a song? I mean, no, you don't have to have a footnote after each of those after each of those statements and provide, you know, or or after each of those statements, you don't have to say, for example, blah 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 blah. Right? No, of course not. Um, at the same time, yeah. So I'm saying should not by way of like mandating, like a song isn't a worship song or a song isn't acceptable if it doesn't ever provide something. But at the same time the the amount of argument that the song provides demand to in my view based on the terms of the song itself demands some kind of evidence like if you had said all of those phrases over and over and over over again it does leave a desire for some explanation of what you might mean by some of those phrases or what you're thinking of right so hear me say should not in the sense of like a like a, like a kind of mandatoryness, but as a, um, but also stronger than could. I'm not saying could provide evidence. Like there is, a, there is a kind of need to, but it doesn't mean it's not like comprehensive. Like it's not as though every statement in that this the song really has one argument, 
right? The argument is God is faithful, God doesn't fail, right? That, that's the argument. I mean, just just provide something to explain that beyond just a, a kind of metaphor that loosely sounds like Jericho, I guess. It should do that, and I'll use the word should. It really should. I'm I'm actually still in a very difficult place trying to decide if I'll stick with my rating for this song mm. because I am if this is about Jericho, which this the authors say it is, and even apparently Pastor Stephen Furtick wrote the first line of this song, walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall, according to the authors in this interview. If this is about Jericho, why do we think that God is not gonna do what he said he was gonna do? Yeah. If he said you have to walk around it once a day for six days and then seven times on the seventh day, why do I think that they would have fallen before what God said will come to pass will come to pass? Doesn't right. that undermine the idea that God is faithful? Um, th- and this is just occurring to me. I think I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but it's grown in my head. Um, everything else I think is fine in this song, but that's a, that's a very... If I'm interpreting this right, I think that's a troubling idea. Sure. But again, this stems from using the story of Jericho to talk about something that isn't Jericho. Fundamentally. Because sure. they're talking about a sin battle in their life. Yeah. So. So, okay. All that being said. Uh, oh, there's one last thing. Oh, going. yeah, sure. After, I'll, I'll never forget. There's an outro that's not included in the official lyrics. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts. I didn't think there was anything uh, weird about this, but um, Never will forget. We won't forget your mercy, God. We won't forget your grace. when you did not have to move and you made a way we rest in you yeah that that actually is one of the nicer sentiments in the song yeah really nice and it's good to not forget what god's done and of course we are will be made not to forget because we will be with him reminded of his goodness to us forever what did you give the song i gave the song two out of five returns of the king because for two reasons if you watch the live video of this song the song ends. Oh, no, it didn't end. It goes again. And then the song ends. Oh, nope, nope. We're actually only halfway through the song. Nope, we're going to go again. And meanwhile, it's like cut with these images of mountains, which very much remind me of the very beginning. I guess not of Return of, not of, Return of the King. Yeah, I think Return of the King begins with those sweep, the film begins with those sweeping shots of the mountains and you've got the the sounds of the fellowships time in Moria echoing through the mountains. So you got these sweeping shots of mountains and then these false endings, which just reminded me of return of the King, which, 
you know, the big complaint about that film was didn't end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kept going. What'd you give it, Tyler? What have you decided to yeah, give it? So I came in, this cleared the bar for me when I came wow, in. I thought okay. there, there was nothing offensive in it, but really after reflecting on it, and I think it's, I have different concerns about yeah, it than yeah. you do. I, I, I think I am coming around to people being able to assert things about God without necessarily justifying them. Um, But what I can't abide is the first two lines, which ironically are apparently the ones that Pastor Stephen Furtick wrote. I can't abide the um, song saying that this is about Jericho and then undermining the faith in God's fulfillment of his promise um, at Jericho. So, with that being said, uh, I'm I'm actually kind of sorry to do this because I liked a lot of this song. I'm going to give it two out of five celebrations. And I say celebrations because there's a song um, by Cool and the Gang, Celebrate Good Times, Come On. They have this little lick in that song. And and a lick is this little melody thing that they do in this. uh, And you see it everywhere. It's not just in this this song. But um, in, in Do It Again, there's this very prominent uh, guitar part. And it really made me think of uh, <laughs> celebrate yeah. good times, come on. So that's what I thought of. And if you haven't seen the music video for Celebration, it's really good. Is There's these guys and they've got on dark clothes, but then they have white shoes on and they're playing instruments and they're dancing while they're playing in in a kind of line. And so their shoes really um, show off. So anyway, yeah, two out of five. And I'm listeners, if you can redeem this song for me, I would love you to do that because um, I don't want to be overly harsh. Tell me I'm wrong. Or not. But either way, send us money. (laughs) Send us your Bitcoin. (laughs) Check out theworshipreview.com. Visit our new website and consider sending us a donation. Share us with your friends. Share us with your uh, pastors. Share us with... Your worship uh, leaders, if you dare. If you dare. Yes. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.